This is the soundtrack series. This is the soundtrack series. I'm Dana Rossi. Hello there. Today's episode, I talked to the co-creator of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Aileen Brosh McKenna. And so since that show is a musical, of course, we talk musicals, being in them, creating them, and those times that you just can't help but live your life by them. Lately, I'm living my life by Evita. I just thought you'd like to know. Were you ever in musicals growing up or anything? I was in high school. Um, so the ones that I know the best are actually the ones that I was in, like Gypsy, Godspell, How to Succeed in Business. And I went to a very small high school, and so getting the parts in the plays wasn't that competitive. And right. so um, I was shockingly allowed to sing and dance in public many, many times. And it's funny because I just got the 10th grade play, which was Gypsy, where I played um, Gypsy Rose Lee. Wow. I was going to say, I bet you were Louise. <laughs> I just yeah, I got Louise, where I got it transferred from, you know, like ancient, creaky VCR cassette to um, DVD. So my friend John, who I'm still friends with from high school, is coming to visit so that we can pour over just how out of tune I sang and um, all the outfits. But yeah, that's where I really, the, the musicals I know the best were the ones that I was in. And Fiddler on the Roof was the very first one I was in. Oh, that's a big one in my family. My father is a huge Fiddler fan, and then he got to play Tevye uh, in a community theater production. Who were you in Fiddler? Well, there's five daughters. So yeah. one of them has one line, and that was the one I was. Do you remember your line? We're going on a plane and a boat. Yes. Yes, that's me. That was what I got. And I, was, I think I was in eighth grade. Just kind of a sign of how, like, intense and weird I was as a kid I decided I was really shy I should do plays mm -hmm. which um doesn't make any sense but I think I thought it would like get me over my fear I mean and did that though it did help a lot you know you mostly because I found people that way you know that's one of the ways I found my people um was you know other sort of like geeky nerdy kids who were interested in the arts were naturally doing plays and so you know as I said one of my very best friends is um a gentleman who was one of the Russian dancers in Fiddler on the Roof when I had my one line. Mm -hmm. He was in seventh grade, and I was in eighth grade, and we're still uh, very close friends all these years later. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah, I was just saying to somebody the other day that I don't understand why they do general class reunions anymore and not just specific interest reunions like the drama club reunion or softball right. reunion because that would make more sense in a way where it's like you had this shared interest and everybody's going to pour over the same stories any all night anyway right so yeah yeah that's so funny because true you eat you know if you were an athlete you have a completely different a different experience than if you were one of the theater geeks oh yeah I had seen that the beginnings of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was that you were just kind of watching YouTube one night yeah. and you saw Rachel's videos. Yeah, I it was actually watching it 
during the day in my office when I was supposed to be working, huh. um, I was reading uh, Jezebel, and Jezebel had linked to Rachel's new record had come out, and they linked to uh, one of her videos, which is if Disney princesses were real, mm-hmm. and it was this great deconstruction very irreverent deconstruction of Disney princesses. And it was sung really beautifully and written incredibly well. And I wanted to find out who was behind it. And it never occurred to me that the person who had written it was also the singer because the singing was so wonderful and so on point that I just assumed someone clever had written it and gotten someone else to sing it. Yeah. Um, and then I went and found all the rest of her videos and just started, you know, as, as many people do when they discover Rachel's videos, I just lost an hour of my life to watching every single one of them. And I was so captivated by her and the way she was using music and her as a performer. So I called a friend of mine who, uh, my best friend is a TV executive at CBS and had wanted me to do TV for a while. And I called her and I said, well, I don't, I don't know what to do with this girl, but I really want to meet her. I'm a fan. And I, and I think I'm going to send you a link and you're about to lose an hour of your life too. And we should meet her. So it just started as like a general meeting. It was just like two ladies meeting on a kind of a blind date. And then in the meeting, I had been wanting to do something called crazy ex-girlfriend for a while and had been thinking of it as a movie idea, but hadn't really fleshed it out. And hadn't planned to talk to her about it but then when we sat down I met her and she was dressed very much like a writer I think I was expecting sort of more of a glamazon from her videos Mm -hmm. Um, she's just wearing you know a t-shirt and flip-flops and as we started talking it just jumped into my brain that her the characters that she plays in her videos are very crazy ex-girlfriend ish yeah um you know it seemed like it would really lend itself to that really well so I pitched her the idea and it was funny that it just was the second I said it, we were, it was like we started writing the show that minute. The thematics of being sort of hopelessly in love and how you behave and how embarrassingly you behave and, and, and really romantic obsession mm-hmm. and what that means and um, how we behave when we're madly in love. And it just all clicked from us. And we really have been writing that show since that moment we met. I mean, did the idea of a musical TV show come out of that meet? Like when you saw her on YouTube and then you met her, did you know you wanted to do a music based yeah. TV had show? Be, yeah, it had to be a musical because that's really what she does so incredibly well is use the music and sort of I love the way she used it. And it seemed like a way to do a musical where it wouldn't have that kind of awkwardness that sometimes musicals have on film and TV where it's sort of it's a chance to do a musical where it's not like people saying, you know, I'm having an apple, I'm slicing the apple, let's have an apple. It's yeah. like, it that's very hard to do. Diegetic storytelling, which is like directly tied to the moment, is really, really hard to do. And the, what Rachel does is allow you, because we go into different genres, you get out of the moment, you leap out of the moment into her imagination, into these different genres that where she's trying on different persona. And that seemed to me like a way to do a musical that wouldn't make you, you know, how you get sometimes when they're singing in the reality, you get kind of bumped by how weird it seems. When it's in the wrong place. I mean, I was, uh, my degree is in musical theater and the only thing I think I retained from it is that (laughs) The, mu- the song should start at the moment that words aren't enough anymore. Right. It's like it's an extension right. of the emotion that's already going on in the scene and there's just not words for it and it has to be music. Right. So yeah. Rachel, Rachel always says when it's the emotion's too much, you sing, and then when the emotion's too much in that, you dance. 
<laughs> which I guess is a tourism. I mean, one of the things that's been great is I have like a very pedestrian, suburban Jewish girls knowledge of musicals, meaning, mm-hmm. you know, the four or five I was in and then the ones I saw on Broadway growing up. Yeah. Um, whereas she's really an expert. You know, when we we went to Marie's Crisis with Mark Webb. Oh, wow. One night and she knew every single song. I knew some of them. Mark knew a ton of them. Mark's actually a big musical fan. But I don't come at it being like a musical purist expert. And I think that's been for the good because, you know, my perspective, she's such an expert. She has such a deep knowledge. And then sometimes I'm sort of just the person saying, I don't understand. And I love about the show that it's it's not really the glee structure of just, well, we're going to put a pop song everybody knows in this part. Uh, that has to do with the storyline, but it's a, it's a popular song that everybody already knows. That this is a true musical in the sense that it is all original music and it all serves your specific no, plot. It makes no sense. I don't, I don't even know how, because we were going to do it for um, Showtime and we thought two, two songs an episode... 26 songs. Well, that sounds daunting, but I I bet we could do that. But doable. Yeah. Yeah. And then it became 18 episodes. And what happened was, you know, some of the songs have some of the episodes have two. Um, One of them has one. Mm -hmm. But even the one that has one has another one kind of in it. And then some of them have up to four or five because they have reprises and other repeat pieces. And so we counted up at some point and there are 49 pieces of music in 18 episodes. Um, wow. Just an astonishing number of stuff. And Adam, in addition to writing them with Rachel, he produces them all. So and he has a partner, Stephen Gold, who who works on the production side with him. But with a kind of a not not a huge amount of people, um, the show has generated a tremendous amount of original music. We never do covers. We don't even we never buy soundtrack songs either. I don't know if you noticed that, but there's almost very rarely are there ever pop songs playing in the background mm-hmm. um, because we don't have any money left over. Yeah, and, and it doesn't need it to do that, even if we did. And also because in our world, weirdly, the pop songs are our songs. One thing that I think is interesting is that we don't write episodes around the songs. The songs create the episodes. No matter how much we love it, if it doesn't fit in with the story, we don't do it. You don't do you don't use the song. No, it, it, right. even if we have a song that we love, but if it doesn't fit this, it has to come from the episode. It's the episodes which lead the songs. Not starting with song. I had actually read uh, they had done an exhibit. There's the Museum of the Moving Image here in New York, and they had a Mad Men uh, exhibit there last year. And the part that focused on music, uh, Matthew Weiner said that sometimes for some episodes he knew he wanted to use a particular song in the end and he would kind of write the rest of the episode with that song in mind so that the song would fit right so yeah i mean everybody i guess approaches that yeah we have all you know it's it's the comedy songs the goal is always to to have them stand alone yeah you could listen to them on their own and be funny but they have to work as emotional reflection of, of the emotion right and so they 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 need to stand alone, but they can't be narratively on their own. If that makes any sense. No. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that's a that's a lot of it is figuring out you know what song 
what's the moment for a song? And we've gotten better, you know, as we've gotten practice, we've gotten better at, at saying, realizing, okay, this is a, this is a song area. This is a fruitful song area. And this is not. Sometimes is it a matter of that you feel that there's more to say in the scene, but to have there be just more dialogue, that's not going to work. What are the clear indicators that this is where a song is supposed to go to you? So it would be, it would usually be in a high point or a low point, um, or a, or a epiphany point. So it's usually some kind of epiphany point, either a high point or a low point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes when we have the outline of the story, we'll sometimes just say kind of song here. Mm-hmm. And then Rachel, Adam, or Jack will come up with a song that, and we also have towards the end, especially we had weekly meetings where we kind of did, you know, where are we with the songs and what songs are coming up? And we had these big discussions and then things would sort of pop more naturally out of that. One of the things that's interesting for me is that I, because I don't write songs, you know, as I said, I'm sort of the doula, like standing, you know, once, once I've helped with the conception of it, you know, even if it was my concept, I can't write a song. So I have yeah. to stand there and, and encourage and try and give feedback and, uh, and help them uh, get the song out there. But it's funny because if we're really busy or we're really pressed or I really need a song, uh, all I can do is, is, you know, hope, beg and hope. I mean, encourage, say push. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) you can do it. You can do it. I mean, Adam is pretty incredible because there's been a couple times where, you know, we needed a song and I had like a 10 minute conversation with him. That was the general shape of the song. And, you know, 24 or 48 hours later, a song, just a demo just showed up in our inbox and it was amazing. I mean, he did that numerous times. And I, as far as I'm concerned, you know, the songwriters are wizards. Because I don't, I still don't really quite understand how they do it. I don't either. Something I love about the show too, and I think this is one of the main things I I had read that you were uh, aiming to do was to uh, explore this idea of very smart women, very accomplished women who might not have it all together emotionally, or maybe their emotional IQ isn't nearly as high as their regular IQ. But that that doesn't make them less than, or I mean, it makes them human, like anybody. And anybody it's, in their 20s that's negotiating their love life, you know, is usually so you don't really know what's going on. No, no. Yeah. And, and it's, because she's it's, so smart, I think it's funny that she is subject to the same BS as everybody else. It's not like just because you're smart, you don't have those kind of tumultuous romantic feelings. In fact, because she's somebody who's repressed all her real emotions, she has even more, you know, she's a little powder keg of emotion. Oh, yeah. And it is funny, but it's not a joke. It's just that it's funny that she keeps getting herself into these situations that for whatever reason she can't, you know, do whatever the emotionally smart thing is, whatever that is. A lot of times she knows what it is, too. A lot of mm-hmm. times she knows she shouldn't be doing something and she does it anyway. But yeah, the call to to do the other thing is just so strong. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I was going to say, like, what what makes a musical format then the best vessel for that message? Well, I think, you know, she she escapes into fantasy and that's always been her kind of refuge. And that's an important part of who she is as a character that she sort of is is dead in certain spots. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But but in this area, she's very, 
you know, her she lets her imagination take over and it's where you see kind of her true inner self. And so that always seemed like it really went very well and organically with the character. And that's why in the pilot, it's not her most grounded self, the self that is um, is singing these songs. And that's why I think in the pilot, it's very moving when Paula sings with her mm-hmm. because it's almost like her insanity is contagious um, and someone else has gotten this you know, has picked up this disease, but someone has finally seen her and heard her. Yeah. That kind of the genesis of their relationship is, is inside that. You do tend to, I mean, you like music at all times, but you really turn to it or to specific music when you are feeling overly emotional, whether that's overly ecstatic or just completely devastated. I I recently found out that a friend of mine from high school passed away. And for whatever reason, it's like I went right for the Tori Amos, even though like (laughs) what she's saying has nothing to do with my situation. It's still the emotions that she's pushing forth that make all the sense in the world for what you need at that point. Right. And, and needing to go and pick that little scab of whatever it is. Like if you're feeling miserable, you kind of want to find something that really makes you miserable. Yeah. And if you're, and if you're feeling ecstatic, you want to find songs that, you know, illuminate and make you feel even more ecstatic. So the, the emotions really amplify, always amplify the emotions. When do you think you turn to music more? Do you do it more when you are down in the dumps or when you are more really happy? That's interesting. I, mean, I think both. I mean, I had a, I, I also had a friend pass away and I, I made a little playlist of songs that I would listen when I wanted to sort of reflect on his life and our friendship. And it allowed me to get into that emotional moment. don't like musicals and I mm-hmm. I mean I don't know a lot of the reasons that I ever hear for it I think to myself then you haven't seen a broad spectrum right. of musicals you certainly haven't seen any Sondheim if you're going to say that you don't like musicals because they're corny or whatever else it's like well maybe you just saw Mamma Mia right. but um, isn't, that I, isn't that what's great about Hamilton isn't that yeah. the, the great counter argument for the rest of eternity for yeah. you yeah <laughs> absolutely I mean did you guys experience when you knew that you wanted to do this show about, you know, this woman, very smart, but, you know, kind of feeling on the verge when it comes to her emotions and how she feels about that guy. Did you feel any pushback when you wanted to do a musical about it? Well, no, because we went in with Rachel and her songs and the tapes of her songs. And mm-hmm. so the tapes, what am I? Where is it? Is it 1978? <laughs> um, and the, the, the clips of her songs, the YouTube. So right, right from the bat, off the bat, it was people knew that um, that that's what we were going to do. So we didn't really ever have any resistance. And sometimes people think they're resistant to it. And then when they watch it, they're pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Um, but it is funny. It's uh, there's, you know, in, in the same way that there's people who just don't like it. There are so many people for whom the fact that it's a musical is just so thrilling and exciting. Mm-hmm. And, and we've had a number of people who didn't realize it was a musical and started watching it. And then when she burst into song, lost their minds. So that mm-hmm. has been great. Do you think that the show would be the exact same show with the same sort of premise, uh, but with a male protagonist? Do you think that would lend itself as well to a musical as it does with a female yeah, protagonist? Sure, sure. I yeah. don't see why not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just, you know, for us in our story, this is 
this is her, but I don't yeah. see any reason why not. Yeah, no, I just was wondering, like, too, with um, everything we were talking about with, like, women's emotions and, and specifically that. And, you know, sometimes I feel that women are uh, chastised more for it, for uh, showing emotion or, you know, dipping over into crazy, quote yeah, unquote, whatever that means. But right. men don't. And it doesn't mean that they don't feel the same emotion. So a musical is great to kind of really color women's emotions that are really out there and in your face. Whereas what would that look like when we're dealing with men's emotions that are a little bit more mm, kept inside? Oh, I think I think it would work. I think it would work great. Um, it would, you know, depend on the character. But, you know, if you look at a show like Last Man on Earth, how great would that be if it was a musical? Yeah, <laughs> that would be awesome. One song, you just tell a quick story that you always connect to a particular song, like the memory you always revisit whenever you hear whatever song. Well, um, the funniest would have to be that, um, again, that I thought and people allowed me to think that I could sing. And so at my high school graduation, me and my friend John, who had been the Russian dancer when I was the fifth sister in Fiddler on the Roof, um, we sang Through the Years, the Kenny Rogers song. Oh, yeah. Uh, in harmony. Now, I'm assuming he sang in tune. I know he sang in tune, and God only knows what I was doing. Um, but I got up there in my, um, since it was 1985, I got up there in my white sleeveless Madonna dress, complete with um, fingerless gloves, and we sang a duet version of Through the Years. <laughs> and... Um, okay. When I tell people that, they can't quite actually believe that that happened, and I did that, but I did. I sang that in front of a whole bunch of people. And you brought the house down? I can't say that we brought the house down. I, I think there might have been more like a stunned silence. Um, but, you know, as I said, I went to a small high school, and um, so I think that, you know, I, I won some awards. I gave a speech, and I got up, I got up to sing. It was a little bit of a, the apogee of being in a protected high school space because the second I went to college... And I'd always really enjoyed singing. And the second I went there, I remember going by, just walking by the acapella auditions and hearing people singing and thinking, oh, no, 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 nope, 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 I won't make it. I never even tried. Um, so that, that, you know, 17 years old sang, singing Through the Years by Kenny Rogers was this sort of the, uh, the climactic musical performance of my high school years and the, the end of my, my musical career. But whenever John's around, I always try and get him to sing it with me. I love it. Aileen Brosh McKenna, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Dana. Thank you. And everybody watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend because it's amazing and so much fun. All right. Thank you very much. This has been the Soundtrack Series. Thanks for listening.